This podcast contains explicit content. Listener's discretion is advised. POV by Lustery explores culture, politics, and creativity in the sex industry, one point of view at a time. I'm your host, Aria Vega. Goddess Blaine is a sex educator and erotic content creator based in Brooklyn, New York. Along with her two partners, Blaine teaches workshops about kink, intimacy, and polyamory, and she also makes BDSM-based erotic content on Fansly and other platforms. It's not quite the career path she imagined for herself growing up in a Pentecostal Christian community, though she did catch on to the quirks of her sexuality pretty early on with a little help from a friend. We kissed for the first time in the very back 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 of the church where no one was paying attention to us. She was my best friend and she told me a secret that she thought girls were really pretty, but not like the regular kind of pretty, like like how you like boys. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I think I'm into that. And we, we shared our first kiss, like on the steps of, uh, it was like a little choir room where we would get dressed. And because Christians get so wrapped up in the religion and the church and the pomp and circumstance, I realized that even though I was in this circle of shame and misunderstanding, I was also not being heavily monitored. So there was room for exploration. Aside from an early conversation with her father, Blaine never really felt compelled to announce her queerness to the world. I didn't necessarily come out to my family. I've just existed as I was. And, you know, I like short hair and comfy clothes. And sometimes I may look a little bit more masculine than my mother would enjoy, but I still feel like me. I really appreciate the idea of coming out, not necessarily being this uniform thing. I feel like we've seen a lot of the, okay, let's sit everyone down and have like a a family meeting. Let's have a conversation, a formal coming out. But I think particularly for those of us who are bi or pan or, or otherwise sexually fluid. First of all, that moment is an illusion, right? Like the, yeah. the, it, that's not when you're bi or, or queer, you're going to have to come out a million times, no matter how you decide to do it, how formally or not, you're going to be coming out every day to everyone for the rest of your life. But regardless, even if you are a monosexual queer, if you are gay or lesbian, like it can truly just be you moving through the world exactly how you were going to and people receiving that however they're going to. And with some people, you'll be able to have those more open conversations. And then with other people, you're just not going to. And that's not a failure to come out. And it's not like you're hiding. You know, it's so funny because I I had told someone that my relationship is very heterosexual presenting, even though the three of us in our polycule are all queer. My Two male partners are both queer. They are romantically involved with each other. This is also their first romantic relationship with another man, which is a big deal for me to be here, to listen, to guide, and also just to experience two masculine queer cis males love each other and really resonate with each other. But I've told my daughter, I've told friends, because my relationship looks heterosexual presenting, there are just some conversations I don't care to have because One, I don't feel like I need to validate myself. And two, I know what it looks like. (laughs) You see a guy and you see a girl and you're like, okay, they're doing the straight thing. (laughs) And that's fine. But now you see another guy. And and that's always the added layer to my life. I have my, my queerness. 
but I also have my love style, which is uh, polyamory. So there was always something I was going to have to explain to somebody. Blaine's experiences with polyamory have involved a great deal of trial and error, in part because there were so few models available to her at the beginning of her journey. So there's pressure when you're non-monogamous to be good at relationships if you're going to have more than one. And, you know, when when we have a de-escalation or a breakup, they make it seem like you are just doing the wrong thing and that's why it's not working. And it's like, well, when regular uh, monogamous people break up, you don't tell them that the entire... <laughs> the entire structure of monogamy is a failure and they are a failure. My partners and I, we teach this class called Vetting Them and Forgetting Them. And it is a, uh, specifically about de-escalating relationships and also not losing your own personal value when things don't go right. Because we are not defined by our success in our interpersonal relationships, whether that's friendship or uh, romantic relationships. We're allowed to fail. We're allowed to make mistakes. We're allowed to separate. We're allowed to get back together. What did it look like to begin divesting from so much of that wisdom that didn't suit you about what relationships could be, who can be in love with who? Like, that's a lot to unpack to get to where you are. Yeah, it, it took years. It was actually therapy that started the unlearning. 24 years old, I was in a in a spiral of sorts, trying to understand why I kept hitting the same roadblocks in my relationships. And I was like, okay, what am I doing wrong? How how is it that I am sitting here feeling like I'm giving so much to my partners and it's not resonating with them? And I I found out over the course of time that it's because I was giving what I felt like was good love, but I wasn't actually listening to what my partners were looking for from me. I was also pursuing polyamory in a way that uh, I had only seen on TV and read in books, which was two women, one man in the middle, everybody works together, you know, kingdom building, all that stuff good stuff they tell you. And I realized that wasn't working for me. I'm queer. I love women. I love men. I really enjoy the emotional connection with women. I love feminine energy so much so that I was just gung-ho on creating this one particular archetype. And I realized I was still pursuing my relationship with monogamous mindsets. I was still using the tools from monogamy thinking that I was just so open-minded that I was changing the the scope of how my relationships look, when in actuality, I wasn't doing anything different. Tell me about the monogamy mindset and what it is about it that can appear in non-monogamous relationships. So escalations, escalating relationships. We're taking it from we're just talking or we're just friends to, oh, let's be more exclusive. I was escalating relationships without actually figuring out what kind of relationship I wanted with this person. Because one of the things that I I love about non-monogamy specifically is that we get to build what this relationship looks like. Even if there's a thing that other people do, we don't have to do it that way because we get to build and customize this experience. I realized that in my non-monogamy, 
I was handling all of my relationships like they were individual monogamous relationships. I wasn't doing a whole lot of effective communicating. I wasn't actually balancing. I was escalating relationships as a consolation prize for the fact that I wasn't giving my partner what they actually wanted, which was attentiveness. Like, okay, well, let's just be more exclusive, more exclusive. And now we're damn near monogamous. And this other person is looking at me like, do we also have a relationship that will require your attention? And I had to take a step back because I was like, this is literally the whole, this is the point of non-monogamy. I'm supposed to be communicating and giving love. I realized I was just love bombing partners to create temporary spans of comfort until I was not spiraling anymore because I just couldn't figure out what anyone wanted from me. And I realized that's because I never actually set an expectation. I didn't ask if they had any expectations for me. And I wasn't giving myself time for myself because that's a part of the balancing. I have time for partner A, I have time for partner B, but I also make time to make sure that I'm good so I can continue to give to those partners. Blaine has always had a knack for teaching and facilitating. In her last vanilla job, she was a product trainer in the beauty industry. But she was even more inspired by what she was learning in her personal life. So she redirected that educational energy to kink and polyamory. One thing that I've learned in kink and non-monogamy alike is that oftentimes when people are seeking out information, it's usually so they can avoid a pitfall. (laughs) You can't avoid these pitfalls. They are here. Most of the things that I have learned are from my own mistakes. My wherewithal comes from being emancipated at 16. So I've been taking care of myself for a long time and just navigating the world by listening to people and listening to people's experiences. And uh, I would hear a lot from folks, I live this thing so you don't have to. And that is literally the, the foundation of my education platform is that I, I live this so you can. You can feel like that, you, you know, you can do this. You see someone who looks like you, who talks like you, who's doing it actively because non-monogamy, polyamory is not a white people thing. And one of my, my biggest inspirations for the platform is the scarcity, the scarcity of representation. I am black, I am a woman, I'm femme, I am queer, (laughs) I am kinky, submissive, um, in a BDSM dynamic, like so many different niches, and I, I feel good representing all of them. I'm disabled, like disabled people have sex. One, <laughs> disabled people gone. They, <laughs> we, we have the capacity to do this with multiple people, even though I take a myriad of medications all day long. Like, talk to me in between naps, but we're going to talk. <laughs> and I felt like it was super important just for people to at least see that I existed because it's not about money. It, <laughs> it's not about money. It's not about popularity because realistically, I I would never just choose to put so much of myself out here for money. 
Like that wouldn't, it can't be my motivation because there is no amount of money that would make me put my business out here. But like, I really care about people. I really care about people. I really care for people to see black people doing different shit. We do not have to do it just because you don't want to upset your grandmother. Just don't tell her. It's been a blessing to me to be able to create safe spaces for black queer, non-monogamous folks, just to ask questions, to have open forums, even if someone is reserved and they don't want to ask it themselves, someone else is going to ask because the, the space is safe. And that's how we learn. Each one, teach one. I do not claim to be a guru of all things. I tell people I can't even really tell you how to get started in an interesting way. I'm going to recommend some books, though. Like, there is no specific way that you can guarantee success in this thing. I promise. Similarly, there is no single path to uncovering those desires to begin with. In fact, it was while working a different day job that Blaine first got familiar with her submissive side. So I was a sex worker. I was doing massage, working, taking clients at my little studio, and... I would ask my clients if there was anything that they would like me to wear. And I realized that I really enjoyed their input. And it started out as input, and then I made it mandatory. And I was like, I really enjoy this. And I, I started doing more professional submission. So I would do scenes with clients in which I was submissive, and they got to boss me around and stuff. And I really enjoyed the performativeness of it all. And I want to say about three years down the line, I realized that I actually wanted it for myself. Like I wanted this outside of a professional paid scenario. I often talk to people when they're exploring in kink and letting them know when you are seeking, you have to be transparent about the kind of dynamic you're looking for. Because if you're going to a sex worker, that is their job. If you are not looking to compensate someone, <laughs> what their rates are, then like, yeah, no, you, then you have to go find someone who really wants to do this thing with you. And I realized that, one, there was a huge market for particularly cis men who just wanted someone to listen to them. They wanted to have some level of authority. And I enjoyed it, but more so the, the caretaking. I like the check-ins. You know, they'd be like, oh, how are you doing? Are you feeling good? And I, I enjoyed uh, giving that energy. The, Give me all you got. You are the smartest, most brilliant human, the sexiest thing I have ever, ever seen. <laughs> and I realized it was sticking with me. Like, I was really enjoying it more and more. And then I was giving out energy for free. And I was like, I can't do that. I need to figure out <laughs> what I want. Because... My clients were kinky, but I didn't necessarily consider myself to be. But that's how it started. It started out as simple, like, is there, you know, red lipstick? Oh, you like red toenails? Fine, I'll paint my toes. You want me to wear a flower in my hair? Simple, simple things. Um, and also, you know, creating the mood, creating the space. I would ask what kind of music they liked and you know, curating this thing so that this person could look at me with pride and say, oh, good girl. She said, great. I lived for that. And, and then I, I decided 
after a while, I was like, I, I would like that. I would like this with, with my person if I were to have my own person to do this with. And so tell me about the first relationship you experienced where you got to explore that submissive side freely. Ah, so I, I had a, a dominant partner. We were non-monogamous together. I was one of his partners. And he was very structured. He loved logistics and scheduling and planning. And he loved planning around me because I was enthusiastic about it. Like I would ask, you know, do we, do we have any things to do this week? I loved him reminding me about any tasks, anything, keeping up with even my own work deadlines. It was really nice. And it, it started as just, it was nice to have someone be accountable I loved having someone care and he put a lot of care into everything from my clothes, uh, where it started to my scheduling, my travel, helping with accommodations, life, finances. It grew into this thing. And my first dominant submissive dynamic, it lasted four years and it was nice. I was still operating as solo poly. So I was my first priority. We didn't live together. Um, but we were very, very, very accountable. And one thing I loved was we weren't just doing the performative kinky names and honorifics. He was helping me get my daughters into good schools because <laughs> he had the juice. I was like, you know, I would love for them to go to school in this district, you know. And he was like, let me make some calls. Like, I wanted someone who would move mountains for me because I think I'm a princess. <laughs> you deserve that shit. Everyone does. I realized that, yeah, I, I like that. I, I didn't want to think about those things because, as I said, I, I got emancipated at 16 and I've always had to think about those things. And I didn't want to anymore. I was like, life is chaotic and I don't want to think about tomorrow. And I realized that also with my levels of anxiety, I freeze. So I, I go into this space where, it goes from, oh, I have so much to do. I'm now overwhelmed. I don't want to do anything. And I needed that help. By the time I met Lotus, it was, we met and started dating right before the lockdown. And we were exploring rope and rope bondage together. But when we decided to nest together, now it became more, more home things, more home tests and taking care of and he and I were still nesting together almost four years later. And it feels great because he understands my workflow. He checks in with me. And we were in a DS dynamic together, and it felt really good. As we explored our relationship over the years, we dissolved our DS. I was no longer his contracted submissive, which was perfectly fine because one of the things that polyamory has taught me that even when relationship structures change, it doesn't change the value of them. It shouldn't make you feel less than, you know, maneuvering things, finding out what works for you versus what doesn't. And realistically, I, I made the decision because I felt like he's caretaking for his disabled partner. I feel like this is a lot. I feel like it's a lot. And by the time we had met Des. And I was, I was so enamored with him. And I don't like anybody. I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. I'm fine. We had, 
spoken and he really took to my my type of submission and that's how we found the balance in the relationship so i i'm currently nesting with lotus he caretakes for me on a day-to-day basis and then i have des who is my dominant my lifestyle bdsm dominant slash master and that's where the balance came in and it was like okay this is cool now at some point you know seeing how things go. I do want to do some nesting over in uh, Maryland because also breaks are important. And we've talked about, you know, giving Lotus a break. (laughs) You know, he does everything for me, like especially the physical stuff, because most of my life I'm pretty stationary. But he does a lot of heavy lifting. He's running errands right now because I don't really leave the house. And everyone deserves a break. I don't feel like my partner is tired of me, fatigued, whatever. I'm just like, maybe he wants to wake up and not have to do things at a very specific time for a very specific person. You're trying to anticipate his needs and it's, you know, and and care for him in that way. And that in and of itself is care and also balancing because you don't have to be everything to every partner. And even when our relationship dynamic was changing, That was one of the common themes. One, we are a family. Two, you don't have to be everything to everyone. And even removing one particular or two particular things from a relationship dynamic, it doesn't have to depreciate in value. Neither does the relationship feeling have to change. If anything, we're we're giving more care, more space, more balance, and more love. That's Goddess Flame intimacy and BDSM educator and kinky content creator. You can find her on Twitter at Goddess Flame and on Instagram at The Goddess Flame. Her polycule is currently producing some super intimate new scenes together. So if that sounds like your thing, be sure to follow. Do you have a story about how being poly, kinky, or queer helped you make sense of sex and love in your life? You know I'd love to hear about it. If you'd like to appear on the show, hit me up with an email or a voice memo at askaria at lustery.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Vega Dreamcast. You can always remain anonymous. If you're into the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. POV is brought to you by Lustery. And this episode was hosted by me, Aria Vega. It was edited and produced by Katherine Fisher and Adrian Teicher. And the show was created by Paulita Papel. Lustery is the home of real-life partners filming their sex lives behind closed doors. If you're 18 or older, you can find us at lustery.com, and we're on Twitter and Instagram at lusterypov. Speak soon, lovers.